Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday eve a little chilly a little precipitation moving through the magnolia state another blast of cold air headed our way i believe high in the uh, excuse me the central part of the state where we are 50 or so today oh yeah it's downright balmy outside <laughs> i don't know about that still short sleeves <laughs> you do still got uh lots of uh, schools closed i think across the state yeah there's still well. some uh some icy roads even though the the good people of mdot have been working as hard as they possibly can yeah and it looks like there's a pretty good chance for another round of the icy stuff for the northernmost counties of the magnolia state yep and looking at some record lows set well daily records that were set on january the 17th when it was really cold clarksdale up in the delta the low was nine degrees the record low for that same day january 17th three degrees in 1982 three degrees and then in columbus Seven degrees on Wednesday, yesterday, the record for that day, January 17th, three degrees, also in 1982. I wasn't living here at the time, but I I can't seem to recall. I was living in Baton Rouge. I can't recall. I wasn't here yet. I got you. Uh, Greenville, record low, four degrees, set in 1948. It was 11 yesterday. And Jackson, record 10 degrees, set in 2018. And it was also 10 yesterday. So there you go. That's the weather. It is January. It's the winter, okay? So it's going to be cold. Despite what John Kerry and Greta, what's her name? Thunberg. Yeah, despite what they tell us. I mean, the doom and gloom coming out of Davos is incredible, is it not? I sent you some uh, tapes, some some audio video of John Kerry's uh, daughter. Is it Vanessa, I believe, is her name and she addressed those uh, in attendance at Davos where all these really smart people are gathered around the the table there talking about how the planet essentially is set to be demised here you go let's listen to miss carey I cannot think of a topic more urgent, actually, than the intersection of climate change and health. And I apologize that my back is to some folks. Um, 
The climate crisis is a health crisis fundamentally. And that actually means it is a crisis, therefore, also of our stability, our security, our economic growth, and our fundamental future as a globe. When we think about it, health is fundamental to everything that we are trying to do. The country, like Zambia, is now shutting down its schools because of a cholera outbreak that is from increased rainfall. In, in malaria is spreading in areas where it's been eradicated or removed in many of these countries. We are losing progress against our sustainable development goals. We have put billions of dollars towards those goals and we're truly losing progress. We're now about to see the statistics of the deaths that we're seeing by 2050 is more than double what the statistics used to be. This is not a future problem though. We always talk in future numbers. This is a problem happening here and now today. 2023 was an apocalyptic year in terms of extreme weather events and what we've seen happen. That is about to get worse. We are on a target now for 2.4 degrees Celsius. They optimistically, if we come out of COP and we hold it, we could stay a little bit lower. But we're really at a, a crisis and it's gonna come down to two things. We have to phase out fossil fuels because this is a crisis of burning fossil fuels. And we have to mobilize more money, not only to the mitigation, but to the adaptation and the resilience so that we can offset what is happening and protect communities. Oh, that's just beautiful, isn't it? The, the first... I'll translate it for you. You want, you want, you want this translation? Sure. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Give me money to give you a helmet. The sky is falling. I need money. I'll give you a helmet. Well... I tell you where she lost me in terms of of uh, perceiving uh, her commentary there is credible. When she used the word intersection right at the top, that did it for me. I'm done. I don't want to hear that crap anymore. <laughs> they, it's amazing how these little these little words, right? They've got a whole a whole nomenclature, uh, a whole parlance, if you will. <laughs> These woke folks do, whether it's climate or race, intersection. Oh, my gosh. What was she talking about there? Was it apocalyptic last year? What did I miss out on? And the cholera outbreak in Zambia? And look, I'm I'm not laughing about that. People getting sick is no laughing matter. But immediately attributed that to climate change. It's it's like I've said, it's it's the holy grail for the Democrats. It's It's race, it's gender, and it's climate change. Everything revolves around that. It's inserted, injected into every single issue. But don't worry, Rhino, because the Pentagon, they got us covered. Uh, They're going to (laughs) install, you've seen this, they're going to install solar panels. Solar panels up there at, uh, at the Pentagon. Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, you know, she's the one that starred in that now famous video, Gasoline, Stay in the Ground. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, they said they're getting a $104 million federal grant from the Department of Energy so that uh, federal facilities, including the Pentagon, can install solar panels. That'll do it. That'll end cholera in Zambia, right? Right. (laughs) The federal government is the world's largest consumer of energy, they say. And conserving as much power as possible in our buildings and vehicle fleets benefits taxpayers and bolsters our national security. Except if for some reason 
You can't power the Pentagon because you're relying on solar panels, and for a variety of reasons, they just can't get the job done. They're not resilient enough. Then what happens? Does the world blow up at that point? Or or our adversary is saying, okay, let's do it now. The Pentagon is in the dark. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable that this is their their priority. Uh, just uh, the dour predictions, right? Apocalyptic <laughs> intersection of health and climate change. Meanwhile, we're not going to say a single dirty word about China, the single greatest polluter on the planet. <laughs> exactly right. Just it's mind-boggling, honestly. But in the meantime, we got a squad lawmaker. You guys seen this? Representative Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York, he may be further to the left than any of the other members of the squad. I'm going to go ahead and label him now as a racist. He is. This man is a racist. Well, yeah. He is calling for the federal government to issue, you ready for this, $14 trillion, that's with a T, dollars in reparations. He says, by the way, we don't have to raise taxes and collect revenue to do this. No, no, no. We'll just do what we did in the COVID. We'll just print it. Oh, yeah. How'd that work out? Let's now make we're, a visit to the magic money. That's tree. exactly what he says uh, when, when asked about it. He said, where where did the money come from during COVID? Did Representative uh, Bowman uh, refrain? We spent it into existence <laughs> What's his comment, his response? The government can invest the same way in reparations without raising taxes. He's one of nine sponsors on H.R. 414, which seeks to establish that the U.S. has a, quote, moral and legal obligation to provide reparations for the enslavement of Africans and its lasting harm on the lives of millions of black people in the United States. Introduced in 2023, $14 of reparations to support descendants of enslaved black people and people of African descent. So does that mean the government will be responsible for the long-term harm that will be caused by dumping $14 trillion on the population? They don't even understand that cause-and-effect dynamic, let's be honest. You drop, you, you drop $14 trillion of printed currency on the United States of America, it's going to cost you an Andrew Jackson and a half to buy a can of Coke at a vending machine. It, it'd be Venezuela-Argentina level Inflation, which is over 100%, folks, in, in case you weren't aware. We're in the Element Well studio today at 1035. We've got Colonel Ganton, Crow, uh, Gannon, pardon me, Crow Burton. He is running for United States Senate, challenging Senator Roger Wicker. He'll discuss his campaign at 1035. And then hopefully today we got Senator Michael McClendon from DeSoto County. He's going to discuss the special session and the regular session, and we'll talk about that. i got some info to pass on with respect to this Marshall County EV battery project that lawmakers are currently uh, considering in terms of the incentive package the state is offering. When we return, we're hoping maybe to get Representative Robert Johnson on the program later as well. As well pardon me. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. We are back in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Give us a shout on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Don't forget... That uh, Mississippi Blood Services still needs your blood. It's uh, there is a critical blood uh, shortage. There are you can go to their website and find out where you can donate blood. Uh, desperate need for O neg and O positive B neg and B positive A negative as well. So yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about this new or proposed EV battery plant, Marshall County. The legislature is considering an incentive package. For this project, they were introduced to it yesterday. Essentially, the uh, the terms and conditions, as uh, devised by the Mississippi Development Authority, and also working with local and county authorities as well. They're in Marshall County. This is a 1.9 billion dollar project. The uh, the owners, if you will, the company. It's a joint venture by several companies. We know that just based on what. What was uh, presented by NDA yesterday, there is uh, – I did talk to some, some legislators yesterday, Ryan. I went down to the Capitol and just wanted to kind of fill them out and find out what um, what their concerns and reservations were. And then a couple of them and I were texting last night. And uh, and so I have – I've seen the, the MDA package and the bills, by the way, are up now. And, uh, and so it's it's pretty straightforward. There is some confusion, and I want to I want to kind of dive into this. So if you if you look at what MDA proposed in terms of the total value on the surface, when you see kind of the 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 screen that they shared with lawmakers yesterday, and you see the total incentive package, it shows a, a figure of five hundred and twenty nine million, and of course the 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 announcement was 350 million. So there's questions about well how we get to 529 when it was 350, and and I can explain that it's because included in the 529 figure are the discounts for property taxes and sales and use taxes. So it's typical in an incentive project, an incentive package, pardon me, to a project like this uh, that. Uh, let's say during the manufacturing process, all the goods and services that are procured by the company as part of construction, that's significant. They're, they're sales taxes levied on those purchases. So the state offers a discount on the sales taxes. Okay, And the same is true for, say, some period of time, which is the case in this particular incentive package on this project for purchases of equipment, let's say for a year after the factory's up and running. We we also extend an, uh, an abatement of the, the full cost of sales taxes. So instead of paying the full 7%, for example, the abatement would be uh, a discount down to 3.5%. That, that would be an incentive. And the same is true for property taxes. You've got 
ad valorem taxes that would be levied on the plant and equipment. I mean, that's property. That's subject to, to property taxes, ad valorem taxes. So working with the county, the state and the county, which is, which is where property taxes are collected, would come up with some sort of reduction in those. So the 529, follow me here, the $529 million figure includes those discounts. Okay, so that's different than an out-of-pocket expense to the state. When the state gives, for example, the land and and some other grants directly to the company, all right, that's just out-of-pocket. That's an investment. That's an incentive. That uh, That's an expense to the taxpayers, if you will. And then there's infrastructure improvements and investments, uh, often necessary just to support the project, just roads, bridges, waterways, et cetera, uh, site prep. Uh, that's out of pocket. But the discounts, that's not out of pocket. And here's here's what I'm saying. If we don't do this project, we get zero. If we do the project, let's just make it easy. Let's say it's a 50% discount. And if we do the project, the total sales and use taxes and property taxes would be $100 million at full price. But we're going to reduce the rates, and you're only going to pay $50 million. So without the project, you get zero. With the project, you get 50. If you applied the full tax rate, you get 100. So that's not out of pocket. You're not giving them any money. You're just debating what they're going to pay. So you gain 50 million by discounting at 50 million, if you're following the math there. So that's included in that bottom line $529 million figure, but that's not an out of pocket cost. So thus, when you look, and I have looked at the clawback provisions, there's no clawback of the tax abatements. You don't claw back discounts, if that makes any sense. Um, because you're still getting the 50%, right? But there is full clawback, based on the screens that I saw and the provisions that I saw, of the, the grants and the donations and the infrastructure. And that occurs in 2029 if the company does not meet, fulfill its commitments for capital investment and job creation. And it's prorated. Let's say that you say you're going to create 2,000 jobs, and by 2029, you've created 1,500. So uh, essentially, you're going to you're going to um, claw back 25 percent. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. So it's 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 a prorated clawback, if you will. That makes sense to me. I can live with that. Um, and, I, and I had concerns about that. I said that yesterday on the show. You know, I haven't seen the clawback provisions. I have seen them now. Um, it's certainly at the high level, and I, and I, by the way, I've talked to folks this morning uh, in economic development that are familiar with the package, and uh, who were were side by side and in touch with the Mississippi Development Authority who who crafted this, and and so I can tell you, there's another one that's that's about to be on the table for this big project that I have kind of teased in in Madison County as well, which is going to be significantly larger than this one. I heard. Um, Senator Sparks was on with Mr. Gallo this morning, and and he was talking about the project, and he described it as a grand slam. Uh, you know, he, he seems very positive on it, and it is. I think it's a fantastic project. I said that yesterday, and I'm comfortable now that the clawbacks are adequate to protect the taxpayers. If that one's a, a grand slam, then the one we're about to talk about is like winning the World Series ten times in a row, just for perspective of, of the the dollar value. 
All is I good. I bet you want to bet somebody's still going to have a problem. Oh, there's it. no doubt about it. Even if they have to make up an excuse to be angry. There's absolutely no about, doubt about it. And I haven't looked at the ceasefire text line yet, but I'm sure there's already feedback from Thomas and Greenwood. Am I right or not? Hello. You're shaking your head. Uh, it looks like, yeah, just text in a couple of minutes okay. ago. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that wasn't a, a going out on a limb there to predict. So, um, I, I don't think people understand the concept is your choice is zero or $500 as opposed to 500 or 1000 you, you know what I'm saying there. If you say, nope, you got to pay 1000 they say, okay, we're going somewhere else. You get zero. If you say, well, how about 500 Okay, we're in. I mean, that's literally how this works. It's like you buy a car, a house, a big ticket purchase where you're negotiating with a seller. And they come at you and say, this is what we want. And I don't think I can do that. What about this? Okay, I'm in. <laughs> so it's the same situation. That's how this works. Again, if we could get to the point where the other 49 states would just discontinue this practice, I'm in. The Mississippi should do it. But as long as that's the reality of the competitive landscape for economic development, especially in a state where, let's be honest, we need them a lot more than they need us. That's just a fact. And in a state where we have half the people who can work on the sidelines, I still don't get that. I did hear Senator Sparks. He's um, chairman of economic development. I can't remember the exact name of the committee, but uh, workforce development, I believe, and, and uh, economic development. And he, he mentioned something that we've said on the program before. It's like, why are these people on the sidelines? We need some data. He says that he has requested the composition of some of this data, some research there. And, and to me, what that means is, of these 49% of, of working-age people in Mississippi that can work but aren't, I just think we ought to have a conversation. Why aren't you working? We have jobs here. People are hiring right now. How come you're not working? And by the way, this is Marshall County, and... Um, I stuck my head in the news department before we came in, and, and they were just looking at the, the racial composition of the county. So if folks come out and say, well, why don't we locate these projects in, you know, the western part of the state, which is predominantly uh, uh, populated with black people, Marshall County's like 50-50. Yeah, pretty uh, you, much split right down the middle. In Holly Springs, I believe it's the county seat, 70% black, by the way. So to me, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. What should matter is where's the best place to set up this factory, conduct business, produce a profit, be sustainable, and produce a return for the state of Mississippi. That's what's important. Can't we just leave race out of it? Why do we have to inject that in everything, man? Because it keeps them in positions of power because their voter base thrives on being the victim. Well, they're starting uh, at the federal level parade out Kamala Harris to be kind of the, the face of the... You might as well call it the, Do it. the Harris-Biden ticket. Let her embarrass her way all the way to going home. We're coming right back with Colonel Gannon Burton. He's a candidate for United States Senate. Stay with us. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Well Studio. We thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And we welcome to the program now Colonel Gannon Crow Burton, U.S. Marine Corps retired and candidate for U.S. Senate in the state of Mississippi. Colonel, thanks for joining us today. Sir, thank you. It's good to see you again. It's you been bet. a while since I was on your show, but uh, I appreciate all you do for Mississippi and, uh, and, frankly, just keeping people informed and keeping the conversation going. Appreciate that, Colonel. Really do. So uh, your candidacy for United States Senate, man, that's jumping right in there. Congratulations on that. What what motivated you to jump in this race? Well, if you remember, you know, our last interview, I know you do thousands of these. I only do a couple uh, on the radio. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about what was going on in Mississippi and what kind of time of day it is here in this country. Uh, and frankly, I just I, I see my country being destroyed and I see a federal government that is out of control and not working for the American people. And we kind of talked about this. You know, we we set up a group called Mississippi for America First after I retired. And I went around the state and traveled to most of the counties in the states and talked and talked and talked and did radio interviews and trying to get pressure on our federal elected leaders to stand up and call out the madness that we see in Washington, D.C. Because at the end of the day, we need them to hold the government accountable to serve us. And that's just not happening right now. You know, and I, I waited the last second. Frankly, I was hoping you were going to jump in there. And uh, when you didn't in October, I said, you know, I've waited as long as I can. I've, I've tried my best to get our federal elected leaders to use the microphone we gave them to be on the national stage, pushing back invisible against this madness. Because... It gets demoralizing down here in the state of Mississippi when you see a federal government that is allowing inflation to get out of control, when you see a border that's wide open, when you see your citizens dying of fentanyl overdoses, when you see just, you know, this transgender madness and all this stuff, and you don't see the guy that said he wanted to be there and would fight for you actually pick up his microphone and fight. And so uh, at this point, it's just time to go. I believe we can make a big difference. And frankly, if we can just shine a light on the demons in Washington, D.C. that are that are enacting these policies that are destructive to our country, I think it'll drive them back under the rocks. And I think it'll make a big difference. And there's some good senators in other states out there uh, that are doing, uh, you know, good work. You know, I appreciate Tommy Tuberville. I appreciate Ron Johnson. And if, if, if my senator, my senior federal representative was acting invisible and fighting back against this, whether it's corporate oligarchy or whatever you want to call it, but but frankly – you know, foreign influences that are that are destroying and disrupting, you know, our nation, I, I wouldn't have to do this. So here we are. Uh, I'm in the fight. I think we can do better. And um, and and uh, let's do this. Talk to me. So, Colonel, do you have some specific concerns, uh, call them grievances, about uh, Senator Wicker, some of the votes he's cast, or, or maybe just not doing some things? I mean, you alluded to that somewhat in your open co- opening commentary there, but uh, specifically, do you have some concerns and feel like there's things he should be doing that you believe you would do should you be elected? Yeah, well, specifically, you know, he voted against Trump's border wall, and he went against a lot of the policies that were there. And this is Mitch McConnell and that power structure in Washington, D.C., which kind of makes up a uniparty. And President Trump, I believe, is going to get reelected here. I think he won last time, and I think that, you know, I'm very open about it. I believe the election was stolen in 2020. 65% of American people believe that, 85% of Republicans. You know, uh, one senator, uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith, didn't vote to certify the election because I believe she believed it was rigged, like most Americans do. Uh, Senator Wicker did vote uh, to certify the election. He voted against Trump's border wall there and then voted for Joe Biden's Green New Deal, which is driving inflation through the roof. He voted for all the ominous bus packages and all those things. And, you know, and I understand why he took some of the votes because of the money that came to Mississippi. But at the same at the time, 
you know, at the same time, if we drive this ship into an iceberg, then, you know, Senator Wicker will probably get you the best seat next to the captain at the table on the Titanic. You know, I want to get you on a Liberty ship and get you from New York safely to England and back. And that's kind of where we are right now. And if these were normal times and normal circumstances, I wouldn't be doing this. But I'm just seeing a country that, that frankly, is coming apart. And you're starting to see a complete degradation in all of our institutions. You know, look at the Justice Department. He should be talking about that on the Senate floor about how corrupt the Justice Department has been and how it's been weaponized against the American people. He should use that microphone and that voice to drive them back under the rocks. He should stop activity in the Senate until they shut down these politicized investigations into a presidential candidate, which has never happened before, you know, in our, in our history. We, we've allowed and normalized deviance to a point where people have lost so much faith in their institutions for the first time in my lifetime. Uh, you know, we've got a recruiting crisis where I think the Army's looking at maybe only making 75% of its recruiting goal. And why is that? Well, if you if the majority of Americans believe their election was rigged, which they do, and I, and I know it was, uh, and then you have a woke military where all this leftist theory is allowed to make itself in, in into, the, uh, into the institutions and people see that, and then you have a vaccine mandate, which is still out there with a vaccine we know that doesn't keep you from getting COVID, doesn't keep you from spreading COVID. And oh, by the way, we now know that there's harms and effects uh, and bad effects, including 300% increase in myocarditis, 300% increase in, mi- in miscarriages among our military women, and a 1,000% increase in heart failure from military pilots. I mean, these numbers are obscene and absurd, and he is the ranking member on the Armed Services Committee. Now, he'll say, hey, if you elect me, I'll be the chairman. Well, he could stop business in the Senate now with the voice that he's got. And if he couldn't, he could at least be visible on the stage pushing back against the stuff that is going on uh, up there. So, you know, uh, specifically with Roger, Senator Wicker, you know, I, I have uh, a lot of respect for his service. I have respect the, for, uh, for the man and his family. Uh, but the fact of the matter is he's not fighting and he's not meeting uh, the fight that these times require. And so I, I think... Uh, you know, I didn't want to do this, but I, I, I just feel compelled to step in and get it done. And I believe I can make a huge difference. Why? Because I can be a voice of reason against insanity. And if we weren't dealing with insanity in this country right now, I certainly wouldn't be doing this. Because I love, you know, being back here in Mississippi with my grandkids and, and all that. Uh, and being up here on the farm and snowed in as we are, it's still a blessing because we're we're well prepared. And, <laughs> and like Mississippi, we know how to, how, to, how to deal with this stuff, right? So. Uh, I'm, I like I like what we're doing. Uh, the only problem is, is I can't see my kids getting to grow up in, in a free country if we continue down this path. You know, I served in the Marine Corps. My grandfather served in the Marine Corps. My son served in the Marine Corps. There's no way in heck right now would I let my grandchild go into the Marine Corps based on the vaccine mandates, the wokeness that is being pushed on, this leftist theory that has politicized the military. And it's basically turning us into kind of, I think they want to kind of turn us into stormtroopers who just follow orders and that are insane, like poisoning the entire United States military with a vaccine that clearly was unnecessary and doesn't work. Gotcha. Okay. So the the senator, of course, as you alluded to, would, would uh, promote the fact that he, he's in line to be chairman of the powerful uh, armed services committee and and you know that's that's a lot of stroke and that's just based on the fact that he's been there a long time i don't necessarily agree with that process honestly i think it just ought to be the best person and not be totally based on seniority that's just a side opinion uh but he, he's going to tout that how would you respond to that you, you would be a freshman and and would not likely be in line for any sort of powerful committee chair appointment even if the republicans should take uh, control of the senate 
Right, but they, you know, look at Tommy Tuberville for instance. Right, he's a, he's he's just coming into office, and everyone knows that he actually stood up and fought, and the entire DC swamp went against him visibly in this kind of information warfare age that we're on. And what did that do? That gave a lot of moral courage to a lot more people to stand up uh, and fight. Now, with Senator Wicker taking over, the, if he was to take over, over that com- committee, all of a sudden, do we think that now, when he's been sitting there, you know, with a bat in his hand? Watching these pitches go by, and I'm sorry, I made a golf swing, bat in his hand, uh, with the uh, pitch, letting those pitches go by, that all of a sudden he's going to pick up and he's going to start pushing back against this this DC swamp. And like, you know, for me, when I look at Senator Wicker, I think what has happened up there is that DC makes it very comfortable for people to go along with whatever that you know that cartel is pushing through at the time, and I think it, they make it very uncomfortable for you, like they did Tommy Tuberville, when you push back against you know these leftist agendas uh, and, and the madness up there. Yeah. So uh, you've t- you said you've traveled the state. Uh, what sort of reception have you received, Colonel? What what are folks saying about uh, taking on an entrenched incumbent? You know, it's 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 been really rewarding in seeing people. You know, people uh, basically. Waking up and becoming more positive. You know, when I first started this, when I talk about a vaccine, you'd see people cringe and shut down. And that was a year and a half ago. But now people are like, yeah, I've seen injuries. I've had friends who, who have injuries uh, with this. When we talk about the two-tier justice system and the things that were going on with January 6th, we start, we were talking about that 18 months ago. Uh, and then people would kind of, they, 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 they were kind of shut down by it. You know, they, they would kind of look away with some kind of cognitive distance. But now, uh, it's only onesie twosie people that, that aren't ready to absorb the, the amount of corruption that they're actually dealing with here. And it, it's tough. It's tough to look at your country, you know, in, in, in this in this light. But if you see what's happened in this country, when you start explaining to folks, you know, the life expectancy in the United States has went down three years in the last three years. That's That hasn't happened since World War II. The life expectancy has went up our entire lifetime. So unless you were alive when Pearl Harbor happened and then, and then, uh, and then all the all the uh, combat that was involved in World War II, you haven't seen the life expectancy in the United States go down. How did that happen right after 2020? How, you know, some people say it was COVID. Well, it wasn't just COVID. It was our reaction to COVID. It was gotcha. our lack of using therapeutics because we've allowed corrupt drug companies to basically own our media and put, put perverse incentives into the, uh, into the system. We're out of time, Colonel, but we certainly appreciate you coming on the program, talking about your campaign, and best of luck to you, sir. Thanks a lot. Go to Burton4USSenate.com. You can help me out there, or you can buy Mississippi Top Gun, which we wrote, in order to uh, tell the story. Thank you. Folks, we're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're live in the Element Well studio. So we got an update on this measure of uh, the package for the EV battery plant in Marshall County, the $1.9 billion factory. Uh, looks like, help me out here, Ryan, I want to make sure I pass it on right, that there's a bill in the House, a bill in the Senate, that the bill in the Senate is passed. Right? There were two dissenting votes. I think there's actually two bills in the Senate, one in the House. Okay. So yeah, House Bill 5001, because you're using the, the special session numbering. Yep. And Senate Bill 9001 and Senate Bill 9002. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, I see HB 5001 in that past. Uh, Okay, so this is in the House, of course, and that passed 117 to 2 is the data I'm looking at. Is that what you see? House Bill 5001. House Bill 5001. Yes, 117 to 2. Okay, so I guess we got three that, um, I don't know, either weren't present perhaps to vote. I mean, it doesn't really matter. So 117 to 2. There are a lot of icy roads still out there in the Magnolia State. Absolutely true. To Jackson or might have had to leave and go home and, yeah. Yeah. But Um, they still had a quorum. And then there's their bills. You just you just uh, named them, the measure numbers that are in the Senate. And so they got to go across the the uh, the hall there. And then if they have concerns about the specific bills that passed, they got to go to conference. Of course, as you know, is the way it works. If they mark it up, want to make amendments. Um, a couple of amendments that failed in the House. One to to require that 70% of employees were Mississippi residents, to uh, require the, the project to reinvest in the community. I don't know if there were any specifics about the dollar amount. I, I think that that doesn't belong, honestly, in this bill. And here, here's my thoughts about it. If you are going to offer an incentive package to a company, and and it's on the basis that the company – is, is going to produce some specific value, some some targets, capital investment, jobs created. But then you turn around and tell them, but this is how you got to operate your company. And, I mean, this is who you're going to hire. I, that doesn't make sense to me. That's that's government overreach. I, I get the desire to for the company to focus on and, and, and I guess, be required to, to hiring Mississippi residents. I'm all for that. But, you know, I'm not for dictating to a company, even when you're providing incentives that are based on them performing, you telling them how they got to run their company. Because telling them who they got to hire, essentially, is doing just that. That's government overreach. So, you know, they need 2,000 employees. So what if they run into a situation where, guys, we tried. We tried. We've been trying. We've invested a lot. We can't get 2,000 Mississippi residents. We can't operate without 2,000. We gotta go across the state line. You know that's quite plausible, if not probable, honestly. Heck, what we ought to be more concerned about—we ought to be concerned about the fact that we got half of our our working class adults in this country, in this state, pardon me, not working on the sidelines. Why not? It's not like we need this this factory to give them a place to work. We got plenty of places to work. Have you found an employer yet that says, yeah, I don't need anybody? In Mississippi, 
I mean, I get it. it the, these very large, gigantic companies in other areas of the country, they're paring down their staff. Citibank just announced they're letting go of 20000 Well, I think another unintended consequence of limiting it to Mississippi residents gaining employment is you would exclude those that would move to Mississippi to gain employment there. That's right. Because they wouldn't be a Mississippi resident when they gained employment. And something else we should point out is, for tax purposes, income tax purposes, your tax home is where you work. Not where you live, where you work. And you could you could uh, think about Ingalls, I think, the largest employer in the state, down there on the Gulf Coast in Jackson County. 11,000 or so employees, I believe, last last data I looked at, suggested about 5,000 of those come over from Alabama every day. And guess what they do? They, they shop, they spend money, they eat, they put gas in their cars. You know what else they do? Buy lottery tickets because they can't in Alabama. I mean, so I, I, I get the, the intent. I really do. I'm not trying to downplay that. I just don't think government ought to dictate to a private company, but you're going to hire people that come from Mississippi in order to uh, achieve these incentives. I, I, I don't think that should be part of it. So I'm glad to see that that amendment failed. Uh, well, the other honestly. thing is, would that be required of any development in any other county outside of a border county? It wouldn't. You, it wouldn't make sense that it would, in my view, because it's just not a likely scenario. Fox News, Super Talk News is next. It's top of the hour, coming right back on middays. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. All right, so we were talking about this big um, project up in Marshall County, $1.9 billion, and it appears, uh, and it's to manufacture uh, batteries for EVs, specifically, I believe, Rhino, for large trucks, large-scale trucks. I don't, it's my understanding that that's the product that would be produced here. But as we discussed yesterday, once you make kind of the, the, the fixed investment required just to be in the manufacturing of battery business, there are lots of other applications, uh, battery applications that um, could be uh, produced in the factory. So, but it but it looks like uh, the deal has uh, passed the house is what we got thus far. Being is that right? Being considered in the Senate, being taken up in the Senate, still deliberated in the Senate. That's my understanding. Uh, what do you the, see now? The bills have passed both respective houses. Okay. They're now sitting like uh, Senate Bill 9001 and 9002 are both. They just now, so it just recently happened, passed from the Committee of House Appropriations, so it'll go to the House. Okay. So, yeah, it's moving right along. Okay, good. So we're getting it out of the House, getting it out of the Senate, and I guess they'll they'll match them up and see where they have differences. And then if yeah, House Bill 5001 is still currently in Senate finance. Okay. But it has not passed out of Senate finance just yet. Okay. So I'm a um, little surprised, honestly, that uh, sounds like it went through without 
uh, a, a great deal of pushback and contention. I was fully expecting that, and, and I understand the. Well, that was the reporting this morning. It was, and and I got to tell you, I was at the, the Capitol yesterday. Lawmakers were upset over racism. Yeah, heard that too. That's right. Um, they didn't vote that way. No, they didn't. Um, it is Robert Johnson. Maybe that media outlet's just a bunch of muckrakers. The, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, Senate, uh, pardon me, House Minority Leader Robert Johnson from Natchez. He's been on the program for him. We're hoping to get him on later. He did propose a couple of amendments that we discussed, both of which failed. Uh, one of those, as we uh, shared earlier, would require that the company uh, hire seventy percent of its employees from uh, the pool of residents in Mississippi, and then would also have to, I guess, reinvest or invest locally in the community, the company itself. I, I haven't seen the details on that, what such an amendment would look like, specifics. Uh, but both of those failed. And so what we got is, is a, uh, I guess, an unamended measure, if you will. Uh, it's still in its, its form as it was drafted and introduced. And we'll see where it goes. I, uh, you know, that I did hear some concerns yesterday. I'll admit, when I was down at the Capitol, hey, what I just saw was five hundred thirty million, not three hundred fifty, as the governor had uh, shared when he announced it. But uh, uh, hopefully, the explanation that we provided in the first segment clarifies that uh, what that what that how, where that number comes from and what what it is comprised of. It's it's tax discounts not out-of-pocket incentives um, that are included in that bottom-line figure. The, the figure is, as the governor has, uh, has indicated, at the $350 million. And that includes just land and infrastructure improvements. That's, that's what that primarily consists of. And then there's a clawback feature that would uh, go into effect should the company not meet its its uh, obligations under the terms of the deal by 2029. The expectation is they'd be up and running. They got this construction period, of course, and um, they would get the factory built and and then uh, be hiring people sort of concurrently, as you can imagine, to get their staff in place to start making batteries. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, concerns, and, and I respect those, and they're legitimate, that well, you know, the EV market's not doing all that great. How do we know this company's going to be around? And, and that's where I said, look, that, that's a risk being borne by the company. The state's risk has to be mitigated with these clawbacks. If that's the case, it doesn't really matter if the, if the business isn't viable, if the, the factory, uh, for some reason, is not sustainable. As long as the state's protected, and these are, we don't know the names of the companies, but it is our understanding is it, it is a joint venture. It's a consortium. Uh, one of those companies, as I understand it, is uh, a Chinese organization, an entity, which is uh, uh, has 10% of the joint venture. I've heard concerns that, gee, we shouldn't be providing incentives to uh, a company that includes equity ownership by a Chinese entity. I understand those concerns. Uh, and then the, I've heard that also the concern, concern expressed that, they're going to own land, you know, and we're trying to prohibit. Right now there's legislation being hammered out that I think is going to be introduced in this session that would prohibit uh, Chinese, the Chinese from acquiring land in the state of Mississippi. We've already seen some of that occur in other states. And I guess my response to that would be if this were included, involved the acquisition of large tracts of, of farmland, 
I would have a problem. If it included land that is, is in proximity to military installations or, or other just sensitive sites, absolutely I'd have a problem. But on a, on a county-developed industrial site that's going to have a factory building or buildings and a parking lot on top of it, of which they have 10%, I feel like that's fairly low risk. I don't. I don't see that they could use their minority interest to harm this country as they could if the Chinese just went out and and uh, very very directly purchase a bunch of farmland uh, in the state, perhaps offering a premium to the the current owners, and then just shut down the production of food. Of course, they'd be hurting themselves as well because. They get a lot of food from from the United States. It, don't forget, China's a customer of Mississippi uh, as well. So our, you know, our a lot of industries in this country rely on exports to China. I mean, there's a bunch of people in China. What's the latest? 1.4 billion, I think, is the population. So we uh, we export a lot of, of goods and services to them. Uh, I wish they weren't so corrupt. I wish they weren't communist. But the fact is, the economy is, is global in nature. Uh, it, almost everything, honestly, at that scale. So I, I appreciate the concerns and the reservations that lawmakers have had that I've heard directly from them over the last 24 hours. But I, I really think this is fairly low risk, and overall I think it's a home run, as uh, Senator, actually Senator Sparks said, it's a, it's a, a, um, a grand slam. So... Um, I, I think it's a great deal for the state of Mississippi. I, I am just couldn't be more pleased in, at the outcome it looks like we're going to have there in the legislature, and I think this will head to the governor's desk, and it will get signed, and boom, off to the race as we go. And then I think you're going to see something else uh, in the realm of a large economic development project here in Madison County that uh, is going to be on the table that uh, you'll see a, uh, an incentive package as well. And lawmakers will have to consider that. And all I can tell you is that it's big, really big. I believe it's transformational, actually. I think it will perhaps produce more positive benefit for the state of Mississippi than maybe anything uh, in the form of an economic development project uh, in our history. And honestly, more than any any legislation, <laughs> any laws could could produce in terms of just net benefit to the citizens of the state of Mississippi, the great state of Mississippi. I really do believe that. And and I, I'm not being, I don't think, hyperbolic here. I really don't. I, I think I'm laying it out the way that um, I think it's going to play out. Wish I could say more about it. I can't right now. But um, I think you're going to be very pleasantly surprised, and I think that you'll see it's right around the corner, right? It, it is. I mean, it really is. Uh, in fact, I can tell you that uh, there are some members of the legislature that are getting uh, briefed on it today, okay, this afternoon, because it's it's coming next. Never in our history in the state of Mississippi have you seen announcements on economic development projects of this magnitude in the span of 10 days, much less 10 years, honestly. Uh, I think you'll see what I'm talking about when that comes out. I, I apologize for not being able to dig into it. I, you can tell I'm excited. I'm giddy about this. Um, I, I'm just so honored and privileged to have uh, been around as a board member while all this was being um, 
concocted, if you will, and hatched. Uh, it's good news for the state of Mississippi. It's a good day to be a Mississippian. I truly do believe that. So, and we'll keep you abreast of the developments on uh, these measures, but looks to me like, Rhino, that it's this is headed for the governor's desk here in short order. It is our understanding that the regular session has been canceled today, so that the focus... Yeah. That's what I heard from our news department, right? Yeah. Is that what you hear? Yeah, okay. it's just special session today. Once it gets out of the committees, they will be called back to session at one thirty to vote on what comes out of the committees. Sounds good. All right. We are going to step aside for a break right now in the Element Well studio. It uh, does seem like that uh, I think we just got notification. We're going to have Ro- uh, Representative Robert Johnson on the program later on today. Of course, first, it's Senator Michael McClendon at 12.05. we got a lot to talk about with the senator and the representative. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. Don't forget, you can keep up with everything happening in the presidential election, uh, the primaries in particular, by going to supertalk.fm elections. You'll get a full breakdown of state-by-state results, delegate counts, and more. Honestly, Rhino, I think that deal is just about over. I really do. Um, I think that, based on the polls, that former President Trump, is going to capture New Hampshire. That would be the first primary in the country. Iowa, the first caucus. We have caucuses. We have primaries, depending on the state. And then it's on to South Carolina. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis says he's already positioned his team in South Carolina. I don't get that. Uh, It sounds like he's pretty much writing off New Hampshire. You've got the governor, Sununu, who has endorsed uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley. Latest poll I uh, saw showed that uh, the former president is up uh, now by almost 20 points. He bested the number two vote getter in the Iowa caucus this past Monday. That would be Governor Ron DeSantis by 30 points. So I just don't see a path for either either one of them. I, I just feel like that. It's going to be over pretty soon. I'm just seeing a report right now. Billionaire Tim Draper of Draper Associates has endorsed uh, Nikki Haley. This, this does kind of feel like it's an, an establishment candidate, if you will, versus a, an outsider, just like it was, honestly, in 16. If you, who could forget the, one of those first debates that like had 17 candidates on the stage? Remember that? You had to pan the camera out outside the building to get them all in the field of view. And and uh, President Donald Trump, he kind of mopped the floor with him, honestly. I think a lot of folks at that point were, were shocked at his performance, and the candidates in particular didn't know how to respond 
to his uh, his attacks, <laughs> his ad hominem uh, language. Uh, a lot of folks at that point thought that uh, Jeb Bush, you know, coming from the Bush family, right, was the shoe in, raised a bunch of money. He didn't last very long, and he looked please clap, yeah, exactly, and he looked kind of dumbfounded on the stage. He really did. He, he couldn't could comprehend it. But you kind of wonder, is that because there's there's like this sort of widely accepted political discourse that these career politicians adhere to, and then there's an outsider that says, I don't care. I mean, that's honestly what it looked like. And you know what? They created Donald Trump. They gave rise to him. They empowered him. They made him relevant because... Well, yeah, because the the only reason Jeb was seen as a front-runner is because the mainstream media, which is predominantly liberal spent all the time leading up to Donald Trump's announcement talking about, we don't need another Bush. Look at how bad it was under W. Because don't let them fool you with all the, oh, look at Michelle Obama and W's friendship. Isn't it? Isn't it so wholesome? <laughs> the left hated W's guts. That's right. And did everything in their power to denigrate him. Yep. It wasn't until Donald Trump came along that they started going, oh, I wish we could have W back. That's, that's basically true. And I think there was just fear of those who are accustomed to being if you know what I mean by this uh, description, being on the inside, you know, and, and having the ear and having some clout and having influence and stroke, and all of a sudden you get a guy that says, I don't really care. I don't owe you anything. I'm not beholden to anybody. They didn't know how to deal with that. But you know what? It's because you ignored everybody but those in your inner orbit. That's what gave rise to the man. So I, I give him credit for that. There's no doubt. He exposed that, that dynamic. Uh, and I think, to a great extent, the Republican Party has been way too focused on next person in line, next person in line. That's been going on for decades. doesn't matter if somebody shows up that, I don't know, might be better. We, no, we can't do that. They're not the next person in line. It shouldn't be that way. That's the, not certainly the way our founders envisioned it. Really, if you, you recall, their vision was you go work and you contribute to society and you take care of your family and your community, and then once you've done all that, you might think about going away for a little while to serve, and it truly was considered a sacrifice, public service. Now, too too many perks, too many bennies, too many benefits. That's why they stay there so dang long. On the ceasefire text line, if you're an able-bodied person capable of working and not working or pursuing work, no state benefits, welfare, unemployment benefits, just so you know, that is the case with respect to unemployment benefits. That is a requirement. Uh, the federal government uh, does not allow – I mean, there are some sort of minor work requirements for, uh, say, SNAP benefits and housing assistance, but in general – um, you, you cannot receive unemployment benefits, you, and you have to report that. Now, I'm not saying that that's a perfect system, but that is the law for what it's worth. Um, and unemployment benefits in Mississippi, last I checked, Rhino, like 800 bucks a month or something. I mean, it's not much. I think the big question that I, I, I'd like to see our legislature really deep dive deep into is, why do we have so many people not working? I know I'm beating that horse to death, but I, I, has anybody talked to Well, that's just the unemployment anybody? benefits that come out to about $800 a month. Then you have the amount that you would gain for SNAP that's to pay right. for your food. Yep. You would have any discount or any subsidy that would be applied to your living arrangements in rental assistance. Yeah, so, I mean, and you, you start 
nickel and diming it all together in a pile and, and with the low cost of living in the Magnolia State, it might be the only place in the United States where it's possible. You you could be right. I know you brought that point up. There there are some kind of minor work requirements around SNAP and housing assistance. Those are the other two major federal benefits. The question for me is that that just sticks in my mind is, don't you aspire for something more than just barely subsiding off of unemployment benefits and SNAP and housing assistance and and free health care because whether you're on Medicaid or not, if you're able-bodied, you're not. You're not eligible in Mississippi. You still get free health care. That's the bottom line because you show up in the hospital in the ER to get your your sniffles treated, and you don't pay for it. So uh, I still don't understand why we don't aspire to a higher quality of life. I've, I've heard reports anecdotally, I admit, that You've got situations where eight or ten people are living in one house to make ends meet, shared expenses. Have you heard that as well, right? Is that going on? What should, I'd like to see some of these folks Most maybe... Most of the time it's extended family groups. But okay. Yeah. But like, I'd like to see some folks that maybe would agree to appear before the legislature, at least in a committee, and say, here's why I ain't working. <laughs> I mean, literally, I, I don't get it. I can't comprehend why we have this low labor participation rate. Um, but it, but we do, and it's a, it's a problem. Jerry and Waynesboro, the growing woke movement in the military, are the ones that will turn on the citizens. Well, I, I don't think so, Jerry, and I tell you what, I don't think most of the military, from all reports I've seen, I don't think they appreciate or enjoy being forced uh, to participate in all these various uh, so-called woke programs and exercises Stuff we've talked about on the show quite a bit. I do agree it's ridiculous, and I think it needs to be stripped out of military service totally. I think it's ridiculous when you got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs standing in front of the country uh, and saying that, oh, yeah, the number one problem in the military is white rage. I think that's asinine, honestly. I don't believe that's the case. I've never seen anyone in the rank and file ever say that. And... Um, Um, share any views that correspond with the Joint Chiefs' view. I I do think it's ridiculous, and it comes from the top. It comes from the Commander-in-Chief. By the way, I'm watching on the the television. He's heading to North Carolina to push Bidenomics. The people just don't know how good they got it. we got to go tell them. It's such a a failed narrative. It's incredible. I'm watching him walk across the the lawn there at uh, the White House, headed to Marine One. He's putting that one foot in front of the other. Reminds me of, oh, Tim Conway on the Carol Burnett show when he played the old man and put one foot in front of the other. Both Senate bills have now passed the House. Good. Thanks. Just waiting on the Senate Finance Committee. Stephen from Starkville. Burton has my support. Swamp creature Rhino Wicker has to go. One question question is Wicker at the WEF in Davos today, landfill management. I don't think there are any members of the Congress that made that trip, of which I'm aware. To see someone, let's see, agree with your guests, David and McComb, 100%. Senator Wicker, we have a daily foreign invasion of illegal aliens into the U.S. and a president guilty of dereliction of duty to uphold our nation's laws and hear nothing from our senators. They should be at the border and on the news regularly raising hell about it to force action. Glad to see someone running for Wicker's seat who sees the inaction as I do, David, in Pike County. I, I hear you, David, and it, it concerns me as well, and, and it does the American public. Poll show that's now been elevated to the number one concern, cert, certainly among uh, Republicans uh, in the country. 
I would just caution against getting anything substantial done there. I'll, I'll explain why on the other side of the break. We are once again in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. Today, it's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Josie's on a vacation far away. Cover and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know I like my girls a little bit older. I just want to use your love tonight. Welcome back, everyone. The Outfield. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you uh, joining us today. So, Ken from Forest on the C Spire text line. By the way, that's 601-879-4395. Ken says, since this new development involves electric vehicles, are there any government monies offered as incentives as well? Talking about the federal government. So, for factories, Ken, uh, you may recall the Inflation Reduction Act included a number of provisions really to promote the production and the the sale and the use of electric vehicles. There's a loan program available, federal loans. I don't know if this particular development is uh, participating in that program and, and uh, is, it intends to leverage that program or not. Don't know. But I, I do know that there uh, is a loan program that is available in a number of other automobile manufacturers and battery factories have, in fact, tapped that federal loan resource. I think Ford, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was like a $10 billion loan that they took out a few months ago uh, specifically for an EV battery factory in the United States. It has to be in the United States. So they're loans. I mean, they're not subsidies. They're not grants. They're not just here's cash money. On the other hand, the various tax credits that are available to those who buy electric vehicles, yeah, that's just money. I mean, that's a, that's a dollar-for-dollar credit off your taxes if you go buy an electric vehicle. And, of course, when you look at the amounts, you know who benefits the most? <laughs> Rich people who are buying electric vehicles. But they don't really care because they're they're so ideologically fixated and obsessed with electric vehicles. I mean, it's insane, really, if you think about it. Uh, so you got that, and of course, there's there are subsidy programs, tax credits for installation of solar panels at a, a business or a residence, and a, a electric panel upgrades. The theory being, you're going to convert all of your appliances and your HVAC to total electric and replace any any gas-powered appliances you have or, or, or gas heat, for example. You would replace that with electric, and you need, therefore, a, a larger, um, higher-capacity electrical panel. So you get subsidies on that, and you get subsidies 
tax credits is the way it works, discounts um, on the purchase of electric appliances, which are supposed to be administered and provided at the point of sale in the in retailers. You go to the the local store and buy an electric uh, oven, for example, stove, you're supposed to get a discount off of that at the point of purchase. And the retailer files for the government to reimburse them for that discount. But that, I, that's more than I know you asked for, Ken. I apologize for that. But, yes, there's a loan program available. It's part of the Inflation Reduction Act, the most inappropriately named legislation ever to come out of Washington, because it's really kind of a Green New Deal light, if you will, that includes all these various subsidies and credits for uh, factories to, to – to, um, be created to produce electric vehicles and batteries and for consumers to go buy those products. That's what, kind of where we are on that. Uh, see, there are people out there that would complain if you handed them a million dollars in pennies not seeing the million dollars. That's on the ceasefire text line. Uh, let's see. Uh, a couple other questions here. Just getting through here. Ben from Madison, the resident requirement would have been struck down in court. The state can't tell somebody from another state they are not allowed to work in Mississippi unless they are a resident. There was a similar case in Tennessee a few years back about requiring residency to receive a liquor license. Supreme Court ruled it violated interstate commerce. Ben, I'm not sure if that would be the case when the state's handing out money. That may be different. It could be that the consideration that they would receive, that being the grants, the donations, directly to the company, so-called inside-the-fence dollars, meaning used for construction of the factory, the parking lot, the facility, et cetera, if you wanted to connect that to some sort of uh, requirement that they hire employees that are residents of the state, I'm not sure. That may be a different situation, Ben. I'm not arguing with you, but I'm just thinking that it might be different than just um, being a requirement to receive a license, a condition of receiving a license, as an example. Uh, let's see here. It amazes me how people gripe and uh, moan about evil big corporations. This is Paul and Meridian. But without corporations, jobs would be limited, especially good jobs and product availability would be constrained. I agree with you, Paul. It's it's they they we've made them out to be these these villains, these demons, and that really starts at the top. It's because we have a lot of people in charge of the country that essentially oppose capitalism. That's what it boils down to. They're they're socialists. And they don't even try to shield it or hide it anymore. It's out out in the open for all to see. And like I said, every time I hear Joe Biden talk about Bidenomics and how the Republicans don't have a plan, we're working hard just to give you a little breathing room. What he's really saying, I mean, that's kind of a euphemism for saying we're imposing price controls. That's really what it is. We're going to stop those junk fees. And banks aren't going to be able to charge you for calling to check your balance. I still am not aware that any bank charges for that, um, but it's that. You know, it's these. It's but he still thinks it's 1977. So he does. Um, and so, you know, price controls aren't really having a positive in economic impact. It's kind of a short-term sugar high. That's great. You impose price controls. The stuff doesn't cost me. As much as it did, but that's everything the left wants to do: short-term sugar high, knee-jerk reactions, a solution in search of a problem. That's what it is, in my view. So, 
what about Donald dragging his right foot, Jeff, in Forest County? Of course, this is in response to my description of uh, President Biden walking uh, across the lawn there to Marine One in that very, very slow uh, gate that I guess what I'm observing is that in the three years plus he's been in office, it seems to have slowed. I mean, he's, you know, his, his, it's a decline that you can, you can just observe. Just your eyes don't lie on that account. Um, so, sure, if you want to compare to uh, Donald Trump, I mean, it's night and day in, in terms of just the energy level and, uh, in my view, and the, his cognitive ability and, and just his his physical prowess. I, I don't see how you could compare the two. I mean, you put them side by side, I guarantee you. You put them side by side on a stage in a debate, it'll be um, evident. <laughs> it will be just blatantly evident. And I don't think the Biden campaign wants any part of that, honestly. I really don't. I'd be shocked if they agreed to a, a debate once we get to the point where the two of those are the nominees for their respective parties and will face each other in a general election. It, it would just be painfully obvious that there's a clear difference, even though only three years separates them. I, I, I would submit that former President Trump is kind of a young 77-year-old. I would say that um, President Biden seems to be a little showing an age beyond his actual age. Now, once you get to 80 years old, you got some people that look older, some people seem to behave older, and some that don't. I would put him in the latter category, uh, the former category, pardon me. He he just seems older and, and seems to be experiencing more cognitive decline. He can go to North Carolina all day long and talk about his Bidenomics, but Really, that's just another word for price controls. Well, I mean, what else has he done? Think about it. it given subsidies for electric vehicles, I mean, that, that's his uh, an economic policy. You'd have to say that. But, you know, the... the and med- even with the subsidies, somehow sales still aren't climbing? Yeah, because nobody cares about the subsidies. They care about the practical aspect of, of such a vehicle, and they're expensive. So it's the perfect example of Democrats throwing money trying to be a solution to a problem that didn't exist. I, I totally agree. And, and this idea that you just heard from, is it Vanessa uh, Carey, the tape we played earlier talking about, we just got to end fossil fuels. I mean, that's just dumb, honestly. We're not remotely close to that point. Should we continue, in my view, to work parallel on all forms of energy, just like with vehicles? I think we got to work on all forms. I think we will see major advances in electric vehicles. They're just not there yet, in my view. I mean, it wouldn't be practical for my purpose, and I think for the vast majority of Americans uh, either. But will we get there eventually? Sure. I think we will. I think there's going to be massive improvements in battery technology, to the point where you won't even have to plug them in. They won't have to be static to be charged and, and immobile. I think eventually we'll get to a point where they will actually charge while in motion. There's technology being developed to do that right now, that you don't have to replace the batteries every five years and shell out 20 grand. I think we're getting there. And all, and all the other negative aspects of them. These are, these are technical problems, I believe, that human innovation will solve. But government forcing the time frame is just wrong. Let the market do its thing. People will figure this stuff out. But in the meantime, we got to keep building fossil fuels-based vehicles and exploring oil. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. 
Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. The Dow, by the way, down 65 points. Boy, the funny money, as you like to call it, Rhino. Bitcoin wants the ETF uh, announcement about approving ETFs. It took a dive. A lot of folks uh, took a hit on that. The NASDAQ, however, up 106 points. There's been some news on Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, the... the um, the big uh, companies that are on the NASDAQ, and it's been positive for them. Uh, won't get into that right now. But um, still problems over there in the Red Sea. U.S. is launching a new round of strikes on the Houthis. I guess I didn't realize till I heard this morning, you may have known this, Rhino, that, that they were considered terrorists under the Trump administration. And one of the first things that Joe Biden did was change that status. Right, I guess because he just couldn't do it since Donald Trump did it. I mean, it, it seems like that's that's driven his entire agenda. Whatever Donald Trump did, we're doing the opposite. Uh, didn't work out too well for you, but so they took him off the list of terrorists. Now this morning he announced we're putting him back on. It doesn't make any sense. But they also said, but you know, if we see him start behaving better, <laughs> we'll take him off again. That's what Kirby said. I saw the interview this morning. Like, what? I have no idea how Kirby made it as far in life, being such a blithering idiot. He really is, and he seems like such a bright guy. I mean, was he, a, what, a colonel general or something like that? I mean, he's he's a, he's a career military guy. What's he, a national security advisor or deputy or something like that? But he's been at the podium a lot. Retired Navy rear admiral. Okay, he was an admiral. Okay, my bad. My apologies. I forgot he was in the Navy. So, um, yeah, he just, I don't know. Seems like he's a little weak there. Let's see. Uh, I was just, so this is Paula Meridian. I was just talking to a customer. Instead of putting people in prison for stealing, what about fines, restitution, community service, public paddling? As a grown man, I'd rather have a fine than a paddling any day. And I ain't talking about no playing around paddling either. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you on this, Paul. We, we need discipline. What we need is to enforce the laws. We're seeing more and more reports of retailers closing up shop uh we're seeing more reports of retailers having to lock up their goods which cost them money cost us all money i mean you even got target in their annual report discussing shrinkage and and putting a dollar figure on it. it's it's costing a lot of money i think what we're going to see is an explosion of some sort of new technology such as really teeny tiny rfid sensors to help kind of track inventory and the whereabouts and and uh, just just know and alert when something's going on and stuff's moving around it shouldn't be not to mention the the, uh, the other value of such technology and, and just basic inventory accountability uh, not necessarily uh, uh, some sort of nefarious activity and malevolent activity uh, in the movement of the inventory such as theft <laughs> but uh, I think it's how we're going to have to address this question. 
We just need to enforce the laws we have on the books. It's sad to see that these giant retailers all over the country are saying, we can't operate at a profit anymore because of the theft. That's insane that that's going on in this country. And I lay this squarely at the feet of the left in this country that basically thinks we shouldn't punish anybody for committing crimes based on their skin color to a great extent. Now, we've seen that. And that all, I think, really took hold and gained a lot of steam uh, after the whole George Floyd situation. just seems like we got to the point where we sanctioned it. We condoned it. We well, the rationalized vice president of the United it. States, the current vice president of the United States, was raising bail money for rioters. Exactly right. Totally agree. So it's a problem, and uh, I, I think that that will be a high priority in the next administration. Again, should we get a change in um, uh, the, the political party in the White House? I think you'll see that uh, come into focus and get a lot of attention. I really do. But I, I hear you. Um, Paul has to be consequences. I agree. And that's what I'm saying. We we have laws. We just don't enforce them. Uh, and I'm not saying everywhere. I'm saying in, in certain areas of the country. But unfortunately, the areas of the country where they're not being enforced are the really heavily populated areas where this involves the most people and, and uh, the most economic damage. Uh, so... You look at all the major metro areas, all run by Democrats, all have these these um, uh, these judges and um, DAs. They just have no interest in enforcing the law, and as Paul says, in punishing people for breaking the law. It truly is insane. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood says, "Well, my legislatures introduce a bill to extend similar benefits to existing businesses." If I ask them, since they claim to be conservatives, I tell you what, Thomas, I bet if you announce that you're going to make a 1.9 billion dollar investment and hire 2,000 people making 66k, I'm gonna go down there with you and we'll see if we can get some incentives. I bet we'll prevail. But if you're just talking about just for nothing, you're not going to provide anything in return other than you're already doing no sort of economic growth. No, you're not getting anything. We're coming right back. We've got uh, Senator Michael McClendon after Fox News and Super Talk News. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are in the afternoon portion of the program on this Friday Eve. <laughs> we welcome Senator Michael McClendon. He hails from DeSoto County, represents District 1, serves as the chair of the State Library Committee and the vice chair of the Senate Insurance Committee. Senator, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking a little time to call in and give us uh, an update from the Capitol. Thank you for having me, Gerard, and uh, hello to you. Hello to all of Mississippi and to Southern County back home. Yes, sir. A little chilly and a little icy. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, what's the latest? We we understand now that uh, the Senate, the House, in the special session, are are taking up these measures that uh, would approve this uh, EV battery manufacturing plant in Marshall County, uh, adjacent there, right to Desoto County, and. And then we, of course, have this incentive package as well. So give us an update where we are. Well, we've passed uh, both appropriations bills out of the Senate this morning. Uh, Started with the Appropriations Committee, uh, then went to the Senate floor and uh, passed there. So our our work is done. That uh, step one, and it goes to the House and – their ways and means uh, portion of the bill, which will have really more of the nuts and bolts of, of how this thing will operate, will come over to us this afternoon at one thirty. Okay. So, what do you think? Do do you, uh, do, do you have some concerns overall, or is something still bothering you, or where do you stand on it? Well, you and I talked yesterday, and uh, there's always uh, uh, concerns with any big uh, money project that deals with uh, our citizens' tax dollars. Sure. Uh, but if, if this is not a win, huge win for Mississippi, uh, there, there won't be any. This helps the entire northern uh, region of Mississippi, not just Marshall County, uh, but Benton, you know, which is sometimes lost in the shuffle, but... Uh, Benton, Benton stands to uh, gain a, a lot of new residents, uh, and they, they'll get some uh, some commercial stuff out of this. Uh, of course, Marshall County is going to benefit greatly, but DeSoto, uh, prices in the, the Lewisburg, Center Hill, Olive Branch, all the western portions of DeSoto just went up because of this. Hmm. 2,000 employees, and when you have the state's number one school district, uh, people want their kids to go to, uh, to, to a good school, and and there's no better than DeSoto County. So uh, it, it's a win for everyone. I mean, down in Panola, Lafayette, uh, Union County, Lee, we're all tickled to, to have such a project come our way. Okay. So was there any discussion that, that occurred uh, today? You and I talked about uh, some of the uh, some of the discussion yesterday in the Senate, anything that came up today that was kind of new that, um, that that's worth knowing about? No, not really. Uh, there is some foreign investment in this, but uh, we also have investment uh, by two large uh, American companies. So uh, with that being said, any company that comes from uh, – outside the United States is vetted by FBI and all the channels. Right. So uh, before any of that even uh, sets in motion, they will have to put their stamp of approval on it. So uh, we're in safe hands. Uh, the, the impact that this will make and the jobs, the dollar amount that they're going to be making is going to be uh, a huge windfall. You know, not only for Mississippi, but for Tennessee as well. Yeah. And uh, just uh, open farmland that uh, has been there for uh, all this time uh, to to have roads, water, sewer 
going to some of these areas. Marshall County is looking to, to, to be the next DeSoto, honestly. We get their school situation uh, pointed in the right direction, which uh, DeSoto County is more than willing to help with that. Uh, it, it's just a huge, it, it's a huge plus for the state. And, and all that we're involved should be congratulated. Were you uh, satisfied, uh, Senator McClendon, with uh, the clawback provisions that I believe were crafted by the Mississippi Development Authority? Did, did you have a chance to review those? I know they presented that yesterday. Are you satisfied with that? They did, and uh, we haven't gotten into those greatly yet. We mostly got into uh, appropriation side on our side. So okay. that will be that will be looked at more this afternoon. On okay. That. Okay. Right now, the ha- the House will have that. Um, but uh, if uh, if our experts at uh, Mississippi Development Authority are, are good with it, I mean we've got the best people that uh, that is out there doing this. Yeah. If they're satisfied, if the governor's satisfied, I believe we all should be good with it. Okay. Okay. Well, I think the governor. But, but yes, we will be looking at that uh, a little bit later on. Okay. All right. I think the governor has already issued some communications. We were just advised that here at the studio that he's planning on having an announcement later on this afternoon. I think he's anticipating that that uh, the remaining uh, legislation will be approved, will be passed, and headed to his desk for signature and enacted. And of course, the company uh, is on standby. And, and along those lines, has has the name have the names of the companies? I know this is a joint venture. Uh, and that's in the the um, information provided by uh, the MDA. Have the names specifically of the companies uh, been revealed? Uh, they have to us now. Okay. Until this gets passed, I really don't okay. want to say whose those are. Okay. Uh, but uh, they have they have to us yesterday in uh, in closed door meetings. Okay. And uh, uh, but no, they were not in the appropriations bill. Gotcha. Okay, so not not for public uh, consumption yet. I totally understand. And so, no, sir, and, and that'll that'll be for the guest in the morning for uh, uh, Mr. Gallo and for you <laughs> right after that. And I apologize for not being on video. I don't know if it was Senator England or Senator Sparks that broke y'all's video camera. But, uh, <laughs> I got you. Uh, I'm on audio. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, it, it, so it sounds to me like, you know, just, just based on the feedback we're receiving that, uh, this, this thing is good to go. I think it, I think it's a good deal for the state of Mississippi. But as you well know, we've got a number of other challenges that are in front of us that the legislature is, is going to, uh, take up and be addressing. Uh, it should be a situation where the governor, according to what he has uh, communicated, is going to sign and die the special session later on today, and then it's back to work on the regular session. But you guys aren't going to meet regular session until tomorrow. Is that correct? Uh, it's, uh, it's far, I, I believe that is correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Got it. But, but uh, you know, for, for a county with 33,000-some-odd people, like Marshall. Now, now, taking my Marshall is a big landmass, but not not a lot of population. Uh, it's it's really a, a what a landmark uh, event for them and an economic uh, boost. That, okay. Uh, it, it, it's something special, and the governor should crow about it. He, he's got. Uh, we've had two big projects 
in both of his terms now. Yeah. And uh, ho- hopefully more to come. Well, I think there is another one coming. Uh, you know, I've, I've shared a little bit of information with you about that, and I would be shocked if you don't see something on that. Uh, in in uh, communicated inside the legislative body there within 24 hours. So um, that I, it's going to be unbelievable, honestly. And so here you go again. We're likely to see another special session uh, to take up that particular project and, and appropriate incentives and approve the package and and the terms and conditions. Uh, so. Uh, it's all good news for the state of Mississippi. Um, uh, as the lieutenant governor said on our air, on his little sound clip, that you know businesses want to come to the state of Mississippi because it's a good place to set up a business. Absolutely, uh, we are we are definitely business friendly. Uh, now, our challenge is uh, now let's get uh, employees yeah. uh, that want to work and. Yeah. and uh, with uh, what we've set in motion with the junior colleges, what we've set in motion with the, the career counselors and the, and the high schools. And I, I would hope that this brings more uh, technical uh, classes to the high schools. Right. Uh, we, we sit in Olive Branch with a premier technical school. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure they'll be working uh, with this EV company on how to get their students uh, involved and, and job ready, uh, because like you know, every kid uh, does not uh, is not cut out for a college degree, right. and uh, liberal arts degrees don't go a long way in the manufacturing field. Yeah, absolutely, so, uh, uh, there, there's children out there that need a, a, a direction, and uh, these career coaches and these technical schools yep, are uh, they're good. Away for them to reset. We got to go, but we certainly appreciate you uh, calling in and uh, giving us an update, Senator Michael McClendon. Take care, man. I tell you, Gerard, if I could say one thing about these projects, I, I did ask. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians, Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays in the Element Well studio. We're chatting with Senator Michael McClendon. So uh, please continue your thoughts there. I'm sorry we cut you off there, Senator. You, you, you said before we lost you that there was a couple other things you wanted to point out. Yes, and uh, MDOT has, uh, has agreed to, uh, to help with the infrastructure area there on the eastern interchange at Highway 72, and all the access roads, we're looking at $127 million. And and what I ask MDA to look at for future projects is that not only do we need to do uh, infrastructure on, on on-site uh, issues, but we also need to look at, okay, where, where are these trucks or where, where are these people going to go from there? Uh, if it's leading to a congested area, uh, say, 10 miles away, we need to look at, at those projects and maybe expedite uh, the needs of those because we don't want to send uh, 18 wheelers coming, you know, however many trucks a day loaded with whatever it might be into congested areas and just add to, to uh, problems or gridlock in certain areas and also put more accidents on local authorities. So I've asked them to, to really 
take a hard look at when these projects come up, add a little extra money for areas of RE, say, uh, these trucks come south of 69. If, if we would have thought a little beforehand, uh, when they hit uh, southbound 55, it's going to be a little congested there. And uh, those kind of things there, uh, MDA, Mississippi Development Authority, has promised, yes, we will look at that in, in future stuff, and uh, MDOT has looked uh, to do the same. So uh, that, that's what I wanted to add. Okay. Was, uh, we're, just, we're just not looking at site stuff also, but we've got a, a somewhat of a pledge for them to look at uh, – traffic flow and what this will cause and what this is going to do um, for the areas that's there now and the citizens that's there now. Okay. And um, it, it, it's going to be a huge win for for all of us. And so... And, and thank, you for having, thank you for having me on here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So have, have you brought your concerns uh, forward, Senator McClendon, uh, uh, to MDA or to the Senate uh, just to discuss these, these needs you feel like? Um, are, are there with respect to the transportation system, even in your county there, which is obviously going to be uh, utilized in the in the transport of these batteries coming out of the factory in nearby Marshall County? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Senator Harkins was uh, was there. We were there in his office, okay. and uh, uh, they 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 were uh, definitely sympathetic and, and definitely. Uh, Tended to that, and they do realize. Yes, you know we don't want to just produce a product on site, let's get it, and then okay, now we're just going to to what? Uh, is it a is it a bridge that's missing somewhere down here? Is it uh, uh, twenty two that needs to be widened possibly from from this site to Holly Springs? Right. Uh, those kind of things, and. Uh, had some sort of, uh, somewhat of a small come to Jesus meeting, uh, yesterday in, in the cloakroom with, uh, Senator Whaley and Senator Boyd and, and, uh, 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 we, uh, and they agree, you know, those concerns are, uh, are real concerns. Uh, and Senator Hobson, uh, was there as well. And, uh, you know, if a site like this went to Vicksburg, uh, you know what happens there on 20 as you go into Vicksburg as those trucks go and get ready to go across the bridge. So these are definitely things uh, that they want to look at, and uh, it, it, it not only helps us economically, but also, uh, uh, you know, with traffic flow and safety. So, okay. Uh, uh, a lot of things have been thought out in this project, uh, you know, talking about the fire station that will be needed. They also need uh, – uh, a, a big uh, ladder truck because you, you're talking about a, a big, uh, a big, big building, big warehouses, uh, and, and different. You know, depending on what the product is, they come with uh, different issues, and uh, fire suppression will be uh, a concern here, and and money is set aside for that. Yeah, I and, saw that. I think there's what. A couple of million bucks that's allocated. Uh, Is that right? Or two point eight million? Two point eight million, almost three million. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and and a lot of this area is uh, is volunteer fire, so uh, they'll be looking at uh, that. That's more firemen now uh, that will have to be there, uh, and, and probably a, a full time fire station uh, 
with full-time firemen. And that only helps the residents there as well as the business. And uh, being, being vice chair of insurance, I have been a huge advocate yeah. for our fire academy, our, our volunteer firemen, as well as our um, uh, full-time firemen, as well as all first responders. And uh, th- this this will be uh, this will definitely help Marshall County uh, helping those needs, uh, as well as ambulance service. So um, did we, we uh, tried to cover all the bases here. So yeah. Senator, did the MDA or, or perhaps um, anybody else that, that may represent the area that's been involved in the project, did they mention um, anything about exactly why this this uh, Marshall County was selected for this project? I'm sure it was competitive and other sites uh, across the country were also considered. Did, did they mention anything about that? What gave Marshall County the edge here? Well, uh with the uh, product that's going to be used, uh, it's in the transportation industry, and and there is the mid south where Memphis, Tennessee, Desoto County, Marshall County, Fayette County, Tennessee is a transportation mecca, and uh, there's a railroad spur there. There, uh, you have four interstates that are, are literally almost connect each other. And uh, that had a huge play in it, as well as uh, the, the huge site. Yeah. The site is prime, and it's close to uh, also the Blue Oval City up in Tennessee that uh, is going to make Ford F-150 trucks up there. Hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if this site will be making uh, batteries for those. Uh, I think this is geared more to uh, commercial end uh, equipment. But uh, that had play in it, and uh, we are definitely open for business in North Mississippi. We've got uh, people ready to work, and we've got people uh, that need to be trained to work. Yeah, and uh, maybe some even taught how to work, and uh, which is a lost art these days. Right, and uh, we, uh, and I think that had a huge play in it, as well as the Mississippi River is right down, you know. Okay. Right, right across the county at, at DeSoto. Yep. But, uh, and an international airport where FedEx is, is there to ship. So it's, it's a huge transportation hub mm-hmm. where we live, and uh, uh, that has a huge plus. Plus, the Marshall County officials, Mr. Hall over there, has done an outstanding job with that industrial site in Marshall County. And kudos to him and kudos to the supervisors and uh Anybody that was involved, as well as Senator Whaley, uh, had a huge part. Uh, Representative Kincaid, uh, it, it, it's, it's uh, a lot of feathers in both those guys' hats. Uh, Senator Blackwell uh, had part of that uh, area as well when, mm-hmm. uh, before redistricting, and uh, I think he may have had a little little piece of, of mm-hmm. helping with this, but. Uh, it's uh, that, that's one of the reasons is uh, still close to Nashville, the proximity to Memphis, the Blue Oval City. Uh, you got Desoto County, you got Oxford, Tupelo, uh, roads lead to Alabama, the roads lead south to New Orleans. Uh, it, it, it's a prime spot, and not not only for this, there's a uh, thousand more acres to go. They hmm. could open something else. 
hmm. as well as other mega sites close by. So yeah, uh, we're, re- we're we're ready and waiting. It's awesome. That is uh, totally awesome. Well, uh, we appreciate you uh, hanging around to give us uh, some additional thoughts about this uh, huge win for the state of Mississippi, and we look forward to seeing this thing buttoned up and to some future announcements. Appreciate you joining us, Senator Michael McClendon. Thank you, sir. So, uh, Rhino, it looks like this thing's going to get through. And uh, we're we're excited about this, and and I hope people get on board with it. And I, gosh, I, I certainly understand all the reservations that people have expressed, and uh, I think some of those are legitimate. Some of them, perhaps not, do not present the level of risk that uh, is thought. Um, but I think overall, this is just a, a good day, really good day for the state of Mississippi, and I look forward to again seeing the governor's signature on the final legislation to turn this thing into a reality really big deal and again we got another one coming (laughs) it's going to be uh big time news and i couldn't be more excited about the future for our great state state of mississippi when we come back we've got representative robert johnson he of course is the minority leader in the mississippi house of representatives stay with us With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We're live in the Element Well studio. We welcome now Representative Robert Johnson, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, serves as the minority leader, represents District 94, Adams, Franklin, and Jefferson counties, and uh, serves as the vice chair of the House State Affairs Committee. Representative Johnson, thanks for uh, calling in and joining the program. I know it was sh- a short notice, sir, and I know you guys are very busy down there. really appreciate you uh, you joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. We got you. All right. So you you guys have been in a special session. You've been uh, deliberating this this new uh, possible EV battery factory to be located in Marshall County, Mississippi. There is an incentive package that was crafted by the Mississippi Development Authority and other those involved in the economic development in the county. And that is being deliberated by the House, by the Senate. Uh, you've got some appropriations to approve there. And then, of course, you've got just the rest of the terms and conditions of the package to take up, I guess, later on this afternoon. Um, I, I caught your interview yesterday with a, with a local uh, news outlet, and, and you shared, you expressed some concerns and even offered a couple amendments of amendments to the House bill. Uh, tell us what you think about this project and, and what your reservations are. Uh, well, Gerard, uh, first I want to address, you, you said we're deliberating the bill. That, that word's a little strong. I, there's not been much deliberation. Okay. Uh, I'm showing, <laughs> we, this is the bill, uh, yeah. uh, a 200-page bill that we got this morning. Uh, the chairman spoke about it briefly. 
And uh, we're still reading it. I'm still reading the bill. Okay. Uh, but uh, I want to applaud the Department of uh, Development Authority, Mississippi Development Authority, and, and the governor for uh, finding and making sure that we can secure these kind of opportunities for the state of Mississippi. You do know that my my reservation and my only complaint is that uh, I live on the river. My district, uh, you know, borders the river. We have uh, Highway 61, Highway 84 coming in and out. We got uh, rail lines going east to west. Uh, we have an airport that you can land a, a, a 747 into that airport. Uh, I, I, my only point is, and we have Alcorn State University, Kapile Lincoln College. We have the trained workforce, the, the educational institution. And I'm just using Natchez as, in Adams County as an example. And it's, you know, we, we thought about it. We looked at it. I think it's been almost 20 years. I think we did when they, we did a package for Baxter Pharmaceutical in the Delta that we've had any real economic development on that stretch. Mm-hmm. So I'll continue to say, that, uh, to quote the governor, he's a governor for all Mississippi. I would like to see economic development for all Mississippi. But other than that, other than the fact that, you know, we, if we haven't had a chance to go through the bill and we have to trust that MDA and all the information that the governor's office has given us is, is exactly, we're voting on the right thing. Other than that, uh, we applaud the idea that is happening. Okay. So HB 5001, that's the, that's the measure, I believe that uh, incorporates the uh, the appropriations, that's passed. Is that correct? That's passed. Yeah, but that's passed, and the Ways and Means Bill has passed. Okay. So what remains? Bill 1. What remains? There, there, I think there is a, a couple of uh, – I think we have one to two – no, I take that back. The Appropriations Bill – yeah, both of the Appropriations Bills are passed. Right. So we're just waiting on the Senate. We, the House has finished its business. Okay. All right. So we're waiting so we on the Senate. we passed the Ways and Means Bill and the accompanying Appropriation Bills. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So uh, so overall, you feel like this is a good project. I know you offered a couple of amendments. One of those was a requirement that the company uh, staff be represented 70% by Mississippi residents of their hiring plans. Uh, that was one. And then you wanted them to make uh, uh, an investment in the community. I, I didn't really dig into the details of the amendment, Representative Johnson. Both of those did not pass. But uh, tell us right. what, what your rationale is for that. What, what uh, What's going on there? Well, well, the lightest one I'll take first. The community one was born out of uh, the same requirement we made of casinos in 1990. Okay. Uh, just worried that, you know, there would be a lot of money that the state was investing and a lot of money that, you know, we were putting into these people would be spending at these casinos. We just wanted to make sure that we were encouraging them to be good community partners. Okay. We were doing that here. Now, that may, that, th- those kind of issues, that issue by itself may have, may be taken care of in a bill somewhere. Okay. But out of uh, an abund- abundance of caution, I offered the amendment because I hadn't had a chance to go through the whole 200 pages to make sure the things I was concerned about were covered in that bill. Okay. But, but on the 70% uh, requiring that at least 70% of the employees, uh, be Mississippi residents, given the proximity to the, uh, Tennessee border, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't get caught up into people crossing, driving down to work in Mississippi and taking taking that income and, and the revenue associated with it back to Tennessee before we would make a priority of making sure that money stayed here. And so and I didn't make this amendment lightly. I looked at the area. You have a really 
you know, Marshall County has not quite 4,000 people, but you have DeSoto County right next to it and all the counties around it. We have a very voluminous workforce, trained workforce in that area. And I just want to make sure we take advantage of it and get it done. I see. That's all. Okay. Um, and right. I, I, and I would, you know, I would venture to say I would offer that amendment going forward on, on just about, I wouldn't be as concerned if there were, uh, in, we were creating jobs in the interior, but these are, uh, when it's, when it's on the border, even like we were on the Alabama border in the Lyons County project last year, I, I think that's something we should be concerned about. Okay. So let's, let's go back to your, your concern and, and your just, um, um, uh, I guess exposing the idea that the western part of the state, and, and that would include um, the district that you represent along the river there in Natchez, is, is really not been the yeah. beneficiary of a lot of capital investment and economic projects, uh, large economic development projects. You mentioned the, the Baxter project from some time ago. What do you think we should be doing, Representative uh, Johnson, to stimulate economic investment in that part of the state? Well, every time I talk to people, they always say, well, make sure you got a good economic development department. And maybe you should look at encouraging people to have regional economic development department departments on the local level to make sure that they're doing a, a better job. But my argument is we, we, we fund the Mississippi Development Authority at a pretty elaborate, pretty high rate. And we, you know, we fund them to trust that they'll help recruit industry for the whole state. And so, uh, if it all just depended, on whatever your local economic development authority is doing, and we don't need a Mississippi development authority. And so my, my argument is that you have to be purposeful. You have to, you have to say, look, I'm going out and try to recruit industry for the Delta. I, I'm looking to see what do they have to offer? What industry would be interested? What makes a difference to them to be on the river? What, what, you know, what industry wants to be, uh, in close proximity to Louisiana or Arkansas? Uh, I mean, whatever it takes to say, I want to make sure that I'm looking to do some development in that area. Look, just like we exist in the United States and somebody is saying that uh, industries make that choice. Well, there's something we're doing to attract industry to the state of Mississippi. And so, in, inside the state, we can do whatever we need to do to make sure we attract industry to those areas we hadn't attracted industry to. And so the, it also is is compelling and, and important to me because I, I think everything, all our problems, whether it be poverty, uh, crime prevention, uh, growth, it all starts with creating uh, or having opportunities in your area, jobs that that your children would want to stay and work in that area. Uh, they don't leave because they can't get a good paying job. So, I mean, I think it starts there. So I just think you have to be purposeful and decide we're going to concentrate on making sure we get industries in this area. So I, I just, I, I think that's all it takes. You have to decide that's where we're going to make something happen. I just wonder to your point, uh, and I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to be critical of, of MDA or economic developers, but if maybe we need a yeah. more a proactive approach as opposed to a reactive approach, it, it just kind of feels that, like that's that. that. You know what, Gerard, you said it better. I, I couldn't. Th- that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and that's something I think we we should be talking about, thinking about. I think we should honestly be promoting 
the the state of Mississippi. I think a lot of good things are going on here, and a, and a lot of, as you well know, yes. a lot of positive changes have occurred in our state. But I don't think the I don't think the country and the world know about it. If you know what I'm saying, I just feel like that we we ought to be shouting that from the mountaintop. You know that we're open for business. We're we're not what you think we are. I think there's a negative perception that's really inaccurate, and I think we can overcome that with some you know just some smart promotion. I, I think you're right, Gerard. I, I really do. It is kind of tiresome that that the only time anybody outside of Mississippi wants to talk about Mississippi, they want to anything that reinforces some long ago stereotype that they had about the state. That's the only time anything anybody wants to say anything. And there are a lot of positive things happening here. We we are a beautiful state. Got wonderful people, really smart people. I just want them to stay. I don't want to lose them to other states. I'm with you. So we need to create more opportunities here. Yes, sir. Now, I want to say one more thing about yes, this sir. special session. Got to go pretty quick. I, I do. Okay, look. I'll I just I, a special session within a session. I think is unnecessary. Okay. I think just instruct us to put this on a fast track and let us do our job. We don't need the governor to begin legislating okay. by having special sessions during our session. Okay. Appreciate it. Appreciate you joining us as always, right. Representative Thank you. Robert Johnson. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Thank Come, you, sir. Coming right back, folks. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Back in the Element Well Studio, we appreciate you joining us. We got uh, today on In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. You'll hear another incredible interview with Ricky Jones and N- Jimmy Nichols as they talk about the 15th annual Snake Grabbing Rodeo. My good friend Jimmy Nichols. In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, and then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to superiorcatfish.com. So on the ceasefire text line, I live in Forest, Mississippi. We have Tyson, Unipress, Raytheon. We are blessed. In regards to Mr. Johnson, I would propose industries go where they have good schools. Natchez and the Delta have schools underperforming. I hate to add this, but my alma mater, Forest City Schools, aren't good now. So my equation of good schools attracting industries may need arguing. Well, it can be a factor. I I can just say from experience um, in economic development, but here's really the way to think about it. Um, it's it's related. You, you you go where you can get workers. Okay, so it's fair to say that workers tend to gravitate to, toward uh, where there are good schools. So they're they're linked. There's no doubt about that. They also go to where there's there's uh, low crime. There's good health care. There's good infrastructure, amenities. I mean, there's a lot that figures into it. But mainly, top of the list, can we get the people we need? Now, all those other things, of course, they figure into what makes a vibrant community, what attracts people to the community, what makes it easy to hire and staff up. No doubt, all that figures into it. 
the whole other problem, though, is it's a chicken and egg. You need industry, right, to produce economic activity, which which uh, helps to enhance health care and education and cultural amenities and quality of life and low crime. Um, but you can't get the industry unless you got all those things. So it, it can be a bit of a catch-22. I personally think we just need to be more proactive. I think we need to be uh, more thoughtful, more methodical, and, and really, um, I, I guess, just stand up a more concerted effort to attract industry into the areas that uh, are lacking that have really not benefited in some of these good fortunes, such as Marshall County, such as the Golden Triangle area. But do not uh, underestimate the value of high-quality, focused economic developers. The areas that have those that are proactive and really good in responding to and working with prospects, they tend to succeed. If that doesn't exist... And if you've got a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of political bickering that happens a lot, that stands in the way of that, well, then you're likely not to benefit. You're likely not to really see the sort of activity that, that um, would be welcome. And that's kind of what's happening there. But, I, I, look, I want to see all areas of the state succeed. We want to see these sorts of projects everywhere. Absolutely. Ag- agree. Wholeheartedly. I'm still scratching my head on why half the people that can work in the state aren't. I can't figure that out. I mean, it's 40% in the country. Can't figure that out. I really can't. And that's been fairly uh, stable as far as a a labor participation rate. It's been static for some time nationally. And Mississippi, unfortunately, has either been last or close to last in that category for, in that metric, for quite some time as well. I really do think that it's a good idea. It's an it's incumbent upon our state leaders to really investigate this and explore this and try to understand the root cause. We got folks out here hiring, but you're not going to work. What in the world's going on? Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but I, hats off. I applaud our legislature for fast tracking this. I understand uh, Representative Johnson's concerns about the special session. I, I kind of see both sides here. You heard. Senator Briggs Hobson yesterday, uh, appropriations chair in the Senate, was on with Mr. Gallo, and he, he said it's because we're just focused on this and we don't get all the noise and we don't have the risk of folks trying to to insert their little pet projects in into these measures and, and we don't get tied up, I guess, um, discussing that, contending with those issues. I get the rationale there from the senator. I also understand uh, Representative Johnson's concerns that uh, we don't want this to be a situation where the governor, I guess, exerts such power. But according to our laws, the governor has the right to call a special session. He just does. I mean, there may be some criteria to do that, but evidently this uh, fulfilled those criteria, satisfied those criteria. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to do it. It wouldn't have been legal. But I'm sure we're going to have more news on this later on today, no doubt, as it looks like this thing is poised to get to the governor's desk and sign, and we'll have a whole bunch to talk about related to this uh, and a lot of other stuff tomorrow. We, uh, of course, always appreciate you tuning in to Middays. We thank you so much for making the show possible. We're out of here today, back with you again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone.
Mississippi Media Production.